As school districts and school boards strive for transparency, effective communication becomes paramount, but is certainly not without challenges. From handling controversial topics, to managing social media platforms, to establishing a positive relationship with traditional media outlets, school officials face numerous complexities when it comes to dealing with the media. Today, we'll be diving into the world of media relations and its impact on school districts and school boards with the help of a panel of experts who have successfully navigated this complex landscape. Our guests will share their insights, drawing from their own experiences as they shed light on the legal considerations, communication strategies, and delicate balance required when interacting with the media as education leaders. I'm Jonathan Huerta. And I'm Rich Campbell. We're attorneys with the Kingsbury Law Firm in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Welcome to The Legal Lunchroom. Each episode, we'll be looking at the laws that affect school boards, administrators, students, and our community. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we're joined by education attorneys Don Spry and Christine Roddick. Don is a founding member of King Spry who has advised school boards for decades on best practices and legally defensible procedures. Christine is chair of King Spry's Education Law Practice Group and a former president of the Pennsylvania School Board Solicitors Association. Both of you have probably seen it all when it comes to board governance and proceedings. So we're very much looking forward to this conversation. Don, Christine, Thanks so much for joining us in The Legal Lunchroom. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So let's dig right in. I think this question is top of mind for many school board members. What are the recommended practices for handling controversial or sensitive topics when communicating with the media, particularly when it involves ongoing legal matters or investigations? I think the watchword would be communicate carefully. I think best practices are to designate a person, typically if it is in litigation, it should be the solicitor to um, discuss with the media. Um, if the school board feels that it's necessary to make a statement, uh, the president of the board or the superintendent uh, should uh, create a statement, vet it through counsel um, before the statement is made. And the reason for that is we typically look at this from the courtroom back. Mm. Um, and what happens and what we see is if a school board member or someone in administration makes comments, they'll probably be deposed. Right. It may not be, it may not harm the case, but it's not a nice day for you as a school director or an administrator to have to be deposed by a plaintiff's lawyer, disrupt your day take time away from what you should be doing. So I think be careful what's said, designate a person within the district if necessary, but preferred practice or best practice would be to have the solicitor comment. If I can also just expand a little bit upon what Don said, uh, I think that the spokesperson from the district should not uh, deviate or stray from the agreed upon statement that was vetted by legal counsel. And I also recommend that a printed copy of the statement should be made available to the media to ensure accuracy of reporting. What about a legal effect of, of a solicitor or, or lawyer statement? Uh, does that have any impact on uh, admissions for liability purposes? No, and I think that's the point. Um, the the uh, solicitor or counsel is speaking on behalf of his or her client. Um, it's the client who can be deposed and ask questions about the comments, not the lawyer. Well, that's that's certainly very sound advice. 
Is there any change where there's an emergency or crisis situation? I know we advise school districts to have an emergency communications plan in place in the event of a crisis. So uh, what are some of the best practices for these plans? Again, I think there needs to be a spokesman and predetermined uh, in in the policy of the school district um, because many times these crises can end up in litigation. So what we what Christine and I talked about earlier about litigation would apply here. But I think what administrators are very concerned about in emergencies is getting ahead of it. Circumstance such as a fight in school, somebody being injured in school. They don't want the parents to hear this from the newspapers or social media. So they need to be out in front of it. And there, we get phone calls many times and we really have to drop everything else to really accommodate that because I think it is important for school districts to keep communication with parents. I also think that there's different levels of um, threats or crises or emergencies in a school setting. And if you're dealing with uh, something significant, like an armed shooter, a breach of the school facility and safety of the students, I think for those situations, schools should have a professional media consultant Mm -hmm. who are experts in deciding upon communications during an emergency or during a crisis. And it may not necessarily be an on-staff person, um, but they should have somebody lined up that they can pick up the phone and consult with during these situations. The uh, Pennsylvania School Boards Association has a crisis consultant who can be engaged at little or no cost to provide advice and any guidance in in such situations. And um, another interesting thing that schools can do. There is now a Pennsylvania School Safety Institute that offers a state-of-the-art training center for addressing emergency security threats. District personnel, security staff, law enforcement officials can learn tactics in this room. This um, facility was funded by the Pennsylvania School Board Association Trust originally, and um, it is up and coming. So I I would just urge district um, administrators and board members to take a look at that. Thanks, Christine. Let's move to everyone's favorite topic, social media. In the age of social media, what are the potential legal implications for school districts in terms of social media and how they respond to negative comments or criticism online? I think when a school becomes an object of negative comment on social media, their first response should be to consider no response. Um, I believe responses breed responses. Um, And I I kind of, it's it's analogous to to in-person public comment. School districts and school board members do not have to respond during public comment. It's their obligation to listen. Um, If a response has to be made uh, for social media, we recommend that it be written in as matter of fact style as possible with a view towards not citing more negative comments. Um, Obviously, uh, the district should avoid commentary as reply on the same social media platform as the negative comment was made. This is a theme, I think, that runs through what we previously talked about, litigation, social media. It prolongs the discussion when you respond. Having said that, many times school district or a target in the school district of the social media feels some kind of need to respond. We typically recommend, as Christine stated, that um, you know, be factual. Don't get into back and forth. Keep it short. Keep it factual and move on and try not to respond anymore if possible. The news cycle is such that the next day something else is going to be out there and everybody's going to be off of this unless you respond. 
I like that. Responses breed responses. I think experience matters in advising districts and boards on these issues. What are some of the most important things you've learned over the years with regards to working with the press? A couple things that I think we all uh, agree upon in our firm, and that is be responsive to the press. When you receive a phone call from a reporter, don't ignore it, even in those circumstances where you may have to make no comment. Christine mentioned earlier, when you do make a statement or make a comment, um, have a, a written statement available. But if the press calls to ask information about a lawsuit, if you trust the reporter and have an ongoing relationship with the reporter, you can go off the record, the understanding being if you're off the record, nothing is going to be attributed to you and you're not going to be quoted. And the purpose of that sometimes is to give an explanation of what's going on in the lawsuit, not releasing confidential information, but explaining what the lawsuit's about so that when you go on the record with the reporter to talk to the reporter, the, the reporter has a better background for the report. But I think one of the key things is you don't want to expand too much on what your discussion is, because even though you can't be deposed as a lawyer, it can have an effect on the litigation if you, you don't try cases in the press. Sometimes the reporters reach out to attorneys um, to learn the law or to learn a specific statutory provision. I mean, the statute is the statute, but as lawyers, we learn how those statutes are interpreted by hearing officers, by courts, um, et cetera. So when a reporter reaches out that way, by all means, please respond to them. We are tr They're trying to get educated on a topic they may not understand. And I think that is good reporting. We want accurate stories. We want accurate information. Um, and I think that also goes a long way to developing a professional relationship with the press, uh, which could, in, in certain aspects, um, help your client. And I think it's a credit to the reporter. If a reporter is going to call to get information to educate themselves, um, it's going to be, you know, better reporting. What about cases where inaccurate information is reported by the media? What are some effective strategies for school districts to correct the record and mitigate any potential harm? My view is you call the reporter and set the record straight. Uh, I don't think you bash the reporter because this reporter is going to be reporting on other things right. in the school district. Right. So uh, when uh, years ago, when when before social media, um, one lawyer said, never get into a fight with somebody that buys ink by the barrel. <laughs> so, you know, you don't want to offend a reporter because it could come back to bite the school district. My only other comment on that is um, if you're communicating with them immediately via telephone, I would always follow up that communication in writing. So let's segue a bit here and talk the Sunshine Act. Uh, what is the most common question that you get from school officials about the Sunshine Act? And the Sunshine Act carves out certain topics that school board members can discuss in private, um, those being employment, labor negotiations, uh, the purchase or lease of property, um, pending litigation, legal advice, uh, confidential privilege matters, and uh, emergency preparedness. So that's the most common question that I received about uh, the Sunshine Act. Then the question becomes, 
if it isn't a Sunshine Act topic, can it even be brought up in executive session? And I think there's a, a misnomer that unless it fits within one of those categories, it it's absolutely prohibited right. to be discussed. And I disagree with that. Um, I think that there is information that superintendents or other board administrators can give to their board in executive session without running afoul of the Sunshine Act. Um, but then they need to be a little bit careful also because they can't engage in deliberations. So where is that line drawn or where's that line crossed? Um, I have the tendency to take a cautious approach. Um, I think that um, they can ask questions of the administrators once information is given to them. Um, but once they start giving their opinion or trying to uh, sway another board member to agree with them, I think they are getting dangerously close to uh, violating the act by deliberating in private. I agree with that. I, I think that I think a, a school board member always has the right to educate himself or herself. And really the the presentation, if you will, is for the purpose of educating. And, and sometimes school board members don't publicly want to be asking questions because they might feel that it makes them, you know, not look like they're on top of things or whatever the reason is. So asking uh, an engineer, for example, what's this, what's that, that's fine. I mean, I think in Christine's example, but then saying, well, I don't think that that football field should be placed there. I think it should be some other place. That's not permitted in my view okay. because the sunshine law requires deliberation to be public you know the 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 people have a right to hear that debate right but um i don't think the executive sessions prohibits people from board members elected officials from receiving information prior to a, a, an open meeting where the a debate will occur so i know it's a long list but what's the single most important thing that school officials can do to ensure that they comply with the requirements of the Sunshine Act. New uh, and re-elected school board members are now legally required to attend board education, which includes education on the Sunshine Law, okay. um, pursuant to the public school code. And in addition, every year there are numerous opportunities to attend school law seminars that provide information on current Sunshine Amendments and court rulings on those amendments. Um, so, and also administration and, and ourselves as school board solicitors have the responsibility to also educate board members um, on Sunshine Law developments. So there's a variety of different forums in which you can get that additional information. What are some practical tips our listeners can take from our conversation today regarding compliance and avoiding litigation? One of the uh, issues that comes up a lot is right to know law issues. And that's integrated into uh, the analysis for litigation because emails are public. But when you get involved in litigation, it's not only the right to know law, we may advise a client that that the right to, that a certain uh, document is exempt from public disclosure for right to know law purposes. But if a lawsuit is filed and discovery occurs, which is a deposition questioning somebody or a subpoena for records, those records have to be supplied unless it's an email for legal advice between counsel and the board. There was, there was some very practical advice that I heard years ago from the chief officer at the Office of Open Records, which was pick up the phone. Even though it's attorney-client privileged, 
if there's a real sensitive litigation issue, we call and talk to the superintendent or the board member, whoever it is, as opposed to doing emails. Even though it's attorney-client privileged, things can be attorney-client privileged, but somebody can find out about it. It, it, it can be problematic. And another good tip is we all know that emails can be discoverable. So write your emails like you're writing a correspondence. Make them formal, make them professional. Um, I think it can go a long way to protecting the district. Uh, I always have a phrase, say some things in your inner voice. Um, <laughs> or, or as to piggyback on what uh, Attorney Spry said, um, say them in person. There are certain things that you should just not put in writing. Thank you, Don and Christine. Uh, we covered a lot of practical knowledge and uh, I know our audience certainly appreciates it. So thank you for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Up next, my co-host, Jonathan Huerta, talks with Dr. Liz Robeson, superintendent of Pocono Mountain School District, and Wendy Frabel, who is Pocono's director of public relations and compliance services. Joining us today in The Legal Lunchroom, we have Dr. Liz Robison, Superintendent and Wendy Frabel, Director of Public Relations and Compliance Services of Pocono Mountain School District. Welcome, Liz and Wendy. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. It's great to be here, Jonathan. It's great to be here. We look forward to our, our podcast today. Yeah. So here in The Legal Lunchroom, you know, we want to equip our listeners with practical guidance and real-life examples uh, to help school leaders navigate the legal challenges that arise on a day-to-day basis and the needs of their school communities. And that's why we like to bring in um, our partners in the community and the school districts to kind of give just a real-life boots-on-the-ground approach to some of the legal things we talk about. So let's start with both of you introducing yourselves and the roles you play at Pocono Mountain School District. So, Dr. Robinson? Yes, uh, thank you. Um, I'm the superintendent of schools at Pocono Mountain School District, and I'm happy to say that I'll be starting my 35th year uh, within the Pocono Mountain School District, uh, was fortunate enough to start uh, back in 1988 as a reading specialist and worked my way up to the superintendent of schools. Um, prior to that, I also had two years of first grade uh, teaching experience. And I'm Wendy Frabel. I'm, as Jonathan said, the director of public relations. I had a whole career before I started with Pocono Mountain School District. I was in the Air Force for 23 years and uh, retired from the Air Force, moved back home. Monroe County is my home. And I was fortunate enough to uh, see the job advertisement for Pocono Mountain School District. And to my surprise, they hired me. I've been with Pocono Mountain School District for 17 years now, uh, working in the capacity of really their director of public relations and communications. Fantastic. Now, before we even get into the questions, I have to ask, uh, Wendy, you did public relations in the Air Force as well, right? I did. My first three years, I was in communications where I had my top secret clearance and all that kind of stuff. And uh, then I switched over to uh, public affairs is what they call it in the Air Force. And I traveled all over. I retired after my last assignment at McGuire. I was at the Pentagon for a tour. I was in Afghanistan. I was in Kuwait. Um, I supported the Yugoslavia mission when actually Yugoslavia was all torn apart and war torn. And so just had some really unique, fun experiences. So the take home is you need that to be prepared to do public relations in the school district, right? I think it helps a lot. The crisis communication uh, experience does help. Um, so jumping into the questions, uh, can you share a specific example of a situation where the media coverage of your school district resulted in difficulties or controversy? And how did you handle it? Well, it's funny, Jonathan. It seems like ever since I took over as superintendent, uh, which would have been in 2011, we had a number of large uh, 
controversies that occurred that myself and Wendy side by side have had to deal with. So one big one that um, certainly comes to mind when we're talking about some of the experiences had to do when we actually closed a charter school. We knew that as a district, we were doing the right thing for the students within our school community, but dealing with all of the media and all the various avenues really put Wendy and I's first ability, I think, to the test of working together as a team under that type of a situation. I, I don't think we can underestimate the the need to pre-plan and to plan the best that you can. I put together what I call tactical communication plans. You know, your big strategic one is for the whole district. It supports the strategic objectives of the of the district. But then for anything, including maybe a, a budget where you're raising taxes, things like that, I put together what's a skinny down version of that plan. It could be if you're having tough contract negotiations even. So we've used them for things like that. And we do identify our key audiences, what those messages should be for those audiences. We, we come up with Q&As, what are the toughest questions you could possibly face and try to answer those. And what, what what is the bottom line message that you want parents and the school community to understand? And then we sit down and we discuss that. The rest of the cabinet will review that and we go from there. But uh, Dr. Robinson and I work that messaging very closely together. Anytime we have an emergency, we work together on that. The rest of cabinet is involved in the review process. So I think a lot of what, what I'm hearing also is that the, the interrelationship between uh, the, the superintendent and the decision makers and the public relations, um, whoever you may have in that position, your experience together matters a whole lot as well, because it sounds like you feed off of each other when you're developing these messages. We do, and our guts are really good and they um, things that don't sit well with us, it, it hits different nerves. So based on our own life experiences. But I would add to that, Wendy's also taken extra like public relations classes that she's continued to take because there's times you, you can never feel like you have all the answers because there's always something you're going to be faced with that's a little bit different um, on how we need to respond. So I, I appreciate that Wendy continues to, you know, really develop her education and further taking courses that sometimes really adds to us maybe developing something in a little bit different way. What I'm also hearing a lot of is we're talking about how to frame the message. How do we get that message out though? What, in your experience, what's the best way to get your uh, message out uh, or a new story out? And in this day and age, do you still do it through press release? Is it digital? Well, Press releases still have their place, um, but press releases are different. I still do them up on the old press release form that we have formatted, but I always send it, copy and paste it into an email and send it electronically. If I had a press conference and I needed to hand out copies, or if I wanted something to hand out at a board meeting, I have the printed copy, it's all formatted properly. But no newsroom is going to open attachments um, unless you can pique their curiosity to start out with. Um, but in answer to your your underlying question of what is the right way, it depends on what the issue is and who your audience is and what the message is that you're trying to get across. There are many times where, say we have a, a, an issue and we've researched the media coverage of this issue, and we may decide that we're gonna communicate what we consider directly with the parents. So a letter home from the superintendent, a phone message recorded by the superintendent, a video if we need to, um, town hall meetings. We rarely do press conferences. If we do a press conference, it's gonna be a real crisis or something so darn good, we just can't, can't pass up the opportunity and so unique. Uh, so we rarely do those. We save those for emergency situations or something 
so outstanding that we 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 really feel it needs that. I, I would add though the parent link messages. I, I think you know every school district uses those and certainly uses that form of communication to parents. But what we've realized is that if it's just everyday messages, those things really um, need to come from just the building principals and building assistant principals or those people that are related to the building. Um, normally, when I'm doing a parent link message, it's something a little bit of greater importance. And then they tend to listen because sometimes if it's about lunch money or about something else that's coming home on a parent link, they're used to the same voice, they hang up. Right. But most times I'll have parents give us feedback. If we hear it's the superintendent calling, they tend to listen to the message. So we've tried to make sure that when we're preparing them, that we're crafting it that way, that the buildings are handling building things, whether they're events in the buildings. But if it's something a little bit larger or something of much more importance, I'm sending the parent link message. That makes a lot of sense. And I think what I'm also hearing is there's a there's a cognizance of that personal touch also, making sure that there's a relatability to the person delivering the message and that helps to deliver it to the parents. So earlier in the show, we had uh, Christine Roddick and Don Spry from the firm talk a little bit about kind of their position on, on uh, speaking to the media. And the consensus typically is it's it's um, not a bad thing to actually speak to the media, right? It's it's, it's typically better than going silent, radio silence. So um, do you agree with that uh, kind of sentiment that it's better to get something out there? It depends. I, and you know, when you look at, at a, say, a crisis, any crisis, you have to determine what level do you think this crisis will rise to. And so you, you have to prepare for that. And talking to the media, we usually do that. I usually do a written statement and send it to them by email uh, versus just dropping everything to do a stand-up because of the time, the location, all of those things. And the media will read my whole statement when I send it to them, as long as it's not six paragraphs long. Um, and then they'll post it with the story that they write. So I don't rule anything out with how we do it, but usually when a crisis hits, our first thing is going to be some type of written statement. It may be posted to our website, it may be posted to our district Facebook page. Um, it may be sent to the media, probably all of those things. And then Dr. Robinson can do the parent link, which is kind of like a connect ad. That's the report recorded phone call since we didn't explain that. And so we use all of those uh, methods. I don't think you're ever going to see Pocono Mountain wasn't there. They didn't respond. Wendy always responds. So if there's an inquiry, um, I think she has developed that reputation in our area that if someone is asking a question, they're going to be provided an answer. And I, and I think that's very good advice. Um, because when you start, when you're just not available, um, you, you kind of lose that um, integrity uh, in the community where we, we like to answer the question. We like to get whatever is the truth out there and be transparent. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. Thank you, Dr. Robson. Now, now same playbook for um, what I would say is maybe negative publicity? Yes, it really is. Um, some of the crisis communication training that have taken in the last five years. I don't know if you know about the Public Relations Society of America, but they offer some excellent certificate programs for PR, public relations folks in crisis communications. And one of their experts there, he, he formulates everything on when you're responding to any situation, what would a reasonable person expect a responsible organization to do in this situation? And that message just clicks with me because it supports everything that I learned through the military and their training and since. It just kind of focuses it down on one sentence. And if you stay focused on that and stick with honesty, you know, you, you have to be honest. You have to 
have accountability. You have to show you care. Um, all of those things, you, you just really can't go wrong. So you may have a negative situation and negative publicity around that situation, but you have to handle it in a way that shows you're responsible, you care, and it's not about you, it's about your stakeholders. It's about the children. For us, our, our main stakeholders are the children. Dr. Robinson always brings that back to the children. And as long as we keep children at the forefront, um, she's taught me that we can't go wrong. Hopefully we're making the right decision. <laughs> no, absolutely. No, I, I've, in the years I've worked with you, I've always noticed every board meeting, every decision made, that is something that, that continues to be echoed is at the end of the day, stakeholders are the children. So um, no, thank you for that answer, Wendy. Now. In today's digital age, social media has a significant impact on public perception. How do you navigate the complex landscape of social media and ensure that your school district's message is effectively conveyed? I think that's probably honestly the most difficult challenge that we deal with daily because it's almost impossible for an organization to stay up with every social media site. I will tell you though that myself and Wendy, um, Wendy's actually gotten better at this than I am. Um, I tend to still have people that are on these Facebook pages that will more or less let me know what's going on if there is something. And I, I, you know, I like everything to be perfect. So if I see something that someone's saying and I know that it's absolutely wrong, I of course will tell Wendy and then we'll have this little debate, which is kind of funny. And Wendy says, it's two comments, Dr. Robinson, like, why are you worried? Well, we have to get the truth out. It's two comments, it didn't go anywhere. So <laughs> we, then, we then have to navigate those waters. And I think we have enough, uh, trust in our in our local community the people that are on those social media sites that we've established relationships with that will let us know hey you know from the district's point of view we better get something put on here so we really have to nav navigate that but we do have our own facebook page that wendy and the team have put together um, we don't allow comments but we at least put out all the things that we think are important and I, I think we've really worked with our community. Now they know, my goodness, if there is something, they're going to go to our site versus having to worry about looking for another site to get information. Right. That makes sense. Which I think is crucial. It is. And we're not afraid of comments. That's not why we, we did it the way we did it. It's just we don't have the resources to monitor it 24-7. But we have a contact phone number and people can message us on there and we respond to those immediately too. So social media... The research is pretty conclusive on it. If you let it go, it usually self-corrects. Oh. But you have to decide how long you're, because then people start chiming in. No, that's not what happened. No, I saw this. No, the district put this message out. But see, they may have a letter to refer to. And so then other parents will post the letter that Dr. Robinson sent home or a copy of the voicemail that was sent there that maybe that parent said they didn't receive. And maybe they didn't. So we can look it up and see if they did. I also have a good relationship with some of the parent Facebook page administrators. If it's something serious, like a rumor about a threat, they'll contact me and ask me. Oh, and sometimes they'll, with, they'll hold back on posting it or the last first statement so that when they do post that comment, allow it to go live, there's a statement from the district to go there too. I guess the last question I kind of have is, is related to social media and the way some messages get delivered. We've had a rise in, in what people can classify as fake news or, or misinformation, right? And how do you approach combating those false narratives? And I think you talked a little bit, at least on social media, maybe it self-corrects. Um, but when it hasn't self-corrected, what are some of your other tools uh, to combat um, false narratives or inaccurate reporting that you that you become aware of? 
Well, some of the ways we do is I will post a statement, but I do that rarely. And the reason for that is I really do believe in freedom of speech and people should be able to say what they want as long as it's not going to create harm or panic in the community or if it's just so egregiously wrong, you have to correct it. So there's there are a lot of things that I would consider fake that are said or misinterpretations of things. Um, and so we, we pick and choose which ones we want to correct. But there are things, uh, a threat against a school or a rumor of a threat, that has to be corrected. We, we can't just let that hanging out there because parents are really afraid. And um, and we have to contact the police and, you know, go through the whole process. So, but we have our regular communication methods. And one of the things we do is many times Dr. Robison will address the issues that are out there in her superintendent's report when she starts it out. She'll have a statement ready. She'll make that statement about a rumor or something that we just need to correct the record on to get the facts out to Paris for board meetings. And since we videotape them now, those videos are available. And even though there may only be 150 people on that, it, it starts spreading uh, you know, through that same old social media because you used to have reporters that were experts on the subject. You don't have that anymore. Newsrooms have been cut so terribly, there, there's just a handful of reporters and they have to cover everything. So our challenge is, is just to get the correct information out as, as much as we can, um, because lobbyists are using those social media sites, activists are using those social media sites, and how we feel about it depends on what our own personal biases and views on which comments we like and which ones we don't. So we try to be very even-handed. When we're on the job, we're, we're I don't know if apolitical is the right term, but the politics doesn't come into it because we just don't have time for that. So um, we just focus on what do we need to say to, to reassure our community and to maintain that trust. And I think that trust is also with your own, like we rely a lot on all of our stakeholders and our own Pocono Mountain School District community. That's important to us. I mean, we have to make sure when it's not just, you know, Wendy and I putting this message out, like all of our principals need to understand our assistant principals, our supervisors, our directors. So, you know, if you're looking at just the 1,100 people that work for us, we have to make sure they understand that message because then they are the carrier also of, of getting that correct information out so you have you have to rely on them as a whole team absolutely well dr robinson uh, wendy thank you very much for for all this uh today um i think what i took from this was you know there's a level certainly honesty is is at the forefront but there's a level of relationship building that really goes into maintaining um and ensuring that the public gets the right message uh from the school district and has accurate information well thank you both for your time today thank you, thank you for you. having us thank you Thanks for joining us today for The Legal Lunchroom. If you like our show, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also visit our website at kingspry.com to find more education law resources and programming. This podcast is a production of King Spry's Education Law Practice Group. It is meant to be strictly informational and does not constitute legal advice. Should you have any questions about our topic today, please consult with your local legal counsel. This episode was produced by Steel Pixel Studios. Our theme music is by Don Lotney. Have a comment or suggestion for a future episode? Write to us at legallunchroom at kingspride.com. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Huerta, and we hope you'll join us again in The Legal Lunchroom. Lunchroom.